my name is John Hendren, and you're listening to episode 49 of BachCast. In this episode, we're going to take a look at one of, well, actually two of Bach's cantatas, BWV 207 and 207A. And because they share the same catalog number, separated by a letter, um, it begs us to ask why. And the answer is that Bach was a pragmatic composer. Um, most of us know of Bach's cantatas, that they were written for the church, that the majority of them were written for his time in Leipzig, and they were religious pieces of music. They were written for choir, for soloists, and instruments. But this cantata uh, is a secular one, and so uh, it's not as easy to find in recordings. Um, you're not going to find it in complete collections if they're only focusing on the religious cantatas of Bach. And I have an example in this uh, podcast of one of each. And I also have um, a recording of the opening. And that's worth us taking a look at right away because the three performances we're going to hear are very different. And so the first recording comes from an album that uh, came out many, many years ago by the New London Consort. Uh, this was an ensemble directed by Philip Pickett. And this came after the recording of Bach's Brandenburg Concertos. By the way, I opened with the opening second movement, um, excuse me, third movement of the first Brandenburg Concerto, BWV 1046. And the reason for using that concerto as our opening will become apparent soon enough. But after the New London Consort, who was recording for Editions de l'Oiseau um, did their Brandenburg Concertos, they recorded this album of Bach Sinfonias, uh, basically orchestral pieces borrowed from other works. And in that, they included the opening of BWV 2000, excuse me, 207. Uh, and let's give that a listen, because I think they do a pretty good job with it. So probably what we want to pay attention to there is this, this big sort of exciting sound, the tempo, almost like a J.J. Uh, Moray uh, fanfare that opened uh, Masterpiece Theater, right? It has, has that sort of flavor. What gives it that flavor? Well, there's drums, there's timpani, there are trumpets, okay? And whenever you see Bach using those instruments, um, Outside the Brandenburg chairs, perhaps. I always think of outdoors, something outdoors, something ceremonial, um, trumpets and drums. And so uh, it shouldn't surprise us that if we find the, uh, the rationale for him composing this cantata, uh, that it is for celebratory purposes. Uh, and as we'll explore, the reasons behind each cantata is different, um, but nevertheless... It is a celebratory type piece of music. Now contrast this with what we heard at the opening, the, the third movement of the first Brandenburg Concerto. 
That concerto is, well, all of them are rather unique in terms of their scoring. Bach, we don't know uh, really what Bach was thinking of these concertos. We don't know if they were performed a lot, like he wrote them and performed with them at, say, the Collegium Musicum. Um, or we he could have just put them together from previously used material and sent them off. If you don't remember the story of the Brandenburg Concertos, we don't have a lot of evidence of them being performed by Bach in his own time. They were discovered years later, uh, along with a letter that he had included with uh, interest in becoming hired. And this was sort of his resume. This is sort of his portfolio, if you will, as a composer. And said, hey, I put together these six concertos for you and let me know what you think. And so those six sort of became famous. And what's interesting about each one of them is they are so different. And so the scoring of the first Brandenburg Concerto is worth us noting because it doesn't have trumpet in it. The second Brandenburg Concerto is one that features a trumpet. The first uh, is scored for two horns, and they have these sort of horn call type uh, figures throughout uh, a lot of the concerto. And then we have oboe. We have, uh, there's bassoon and this weird uh, instrument that I really don't know if Bach, perhaps in one of the cantatas he uses it, but um, often we don't even hear of this instrument except in the context of the first Brandenburg Concerto, but it's a piccolo violin that uh, does not use regular tuning. And it's it's an interesting choice because it's a stressed, it's a stressful sounding instrument. It, it has to be played rather aggressively to rise above the texture in the rest of the piece. And whether that has a meaning or not is is interesting from a sort of uh, historical perspective of you know, what, what was the intent of these. Um, but I'm getting too far back. So just know, oboes, bassoon, two horns for the first Brandenburg Concerto. I'm now going to go to, obviously, another group because... The New London Consort did not record the whole cantata. They simply gave us a flavor of the symphonia. We're now going to listen to, technically, BWV 207A, and this is performed by the Amsterdam Baroque Orchestra, Tan Koopman, conducting. Sound is a bit different. The um, the makeup of the orchestra may be slightly different in terms of the continuo team, but they adopt a very similar tempo. You still have a very festive flair, and then we get into the first of several movements with the vocal parts, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. But we're going to jump ahead into the second movement of this cantata. And I hope you hear something familiar. Mm-hmm. 
here we hear the music that we may know better as the third movement of Bach's first Brandenburg Concerto. Now, we know the Brandenburg Concertos were were sent, if you will, dated around 1720s. And so it's interesting because Bach kept this music, obviously. Uh, he may have in actually performed it as a concerto. We don't know. But this cantata was intended for a celebration on the 3rd of August in 1735 and was performed in Leipzig. So the music for this opening chorus, if you will, may be some 15 years old, um, an arrangement. And what's interesting, if the cantata really doesn't take the original scoring of that Brandenburg concerto, uh, we've got three trumpets, timpani, two flutes, two oboe d'amore, not regular oboes. Uh, we have uh, bassoon, uh, we have strings, basso continuo. Um, and it's a 10-movement piece. This opening chorus uh, borrowing some music. Now, this cantata basically changed the words, if you will, from another cantata that he wrote. The earlier version of this, B2V 2007, and that too was a secular cantata. Um, and looking at the Wikipedia article, it uh, came out in 1726, and I have a recording of that one, performed by Musica Antiqua Köln from their album entitled Secular Cantatas. Now I'm going to play the opening march and then the first movement. So it's music you've sort of already heard, but again, I want you to pick up on some of the differences in performance. bat between these two performances we've got some wild wild differences in um, tempi the first symphony that we heard again was just just the instrumental piece 
That had a very consistent tempo with Ton Koopman's version and now Reiner Goebbels' opening symphony or march um, is way slowed down. I don't have a rationale for why. Um, and it has nothing to do with the differences in the 207-207A. It's just a different uh, performance standard. And then when we get to the, I mean, you'd expect, okay, this performance is slower and the next movement will be slower as well, but it's not. It, it goes at breakneck speed, um, which I have to tell you off the bat, <laughs> uh, despite my record of almost always finding the performances interpretation of Reinhard Gerber with Musica Antiqua Colm being the top notch. I'm a little confused because that Symphonia seems a little slow. There may be a very pragmatic reason for doing that. If you were Bach and you're performing and you knew you had to fill a certain amount of time so you could play with the tempo. But then the, the singing that has to take place in the next movement almost you know, seems... Um, like a Herculean task to try to, to keep up with that tempo. What's interesting to me is the the vocal parts uh, are the replacement for that piccolo violin part. Um, it's, it's just an interesting juxtaposition, I think, of music from this setting for an instrumental concerto and now applying it to to music. Incidentally, this music for 207 uh, was written for the installment of a law professor at Leipzig University in, we believe, 1726, and so it predates the 207A by about nine years. We can imagine Bach arrives in town to Leipzig. He is responsible for not only teaching boys Latin and other tasks of being sort of a schoolmaster, but now must also fill the bill for ceremonial music for things happening in the community there around St. Thomas's. So um, it is what it is. He was a pragmatic composer. We know he reused some material, and we know between the time that this music was first compiled and uh, roughly, again, nine years later that he rehashed the music. If we look at the scoring, it's uh, it's the same. We've got the same soloists throughout. And to give you a little bit of comparison against between these two performances, we're going to listen to uh, the duet aria. This is written for uh, soprano and bass. And it has a very simple accompaniment. Um, again, if you Picture the pragmatism. Uh, if you had a full string complement outdoors, excuse me, indoors in the church, uh, you would probably want to use them as most, much as possible. In this case, we're simply using the basso continuo along with two voices. And first, we'll listen to the 207A uh, with the Amsterdam Baroque Orchestra under Tan Koopman, and then you'll hear the comparison, uh, the parody. Aria, if you will, from B2V 2007 from Musica Antiqua Colm under the direction of Reinhard Goebel.
As you might expect, Tan Koopman's a little more moderately minded. Reinhard Goebel likes to play fast and furious, and pretty much for the rest of the cantata, they they play to their sort of um, normal, uh, typical uh, expectations. I guess we'd have if you've listened to enough of these uh, two musicians in their ensembles, uh, Koopman. Is neither too slow, neither too fast. He's somewhere in the middle. And Goebel has been known to really push tempo. So that's why the, the opening march is a little bit of a surprise to me. We get now to the um, to the last movement. The last movement is a chorus. Uh, it's not a chorale like we might expect, like a nice, you know, four-part harmony, maybe undercut with instruments. Instead, it's it's more of like the march, it's it's got punctuated uh, rhythm. It's got some pomp, if you will. Uh, it's scored again for all four parts of the chorus. But what it features is this kind of interesting thing that I can't think just off the top of my head. Any too many examples in Bach like this, where he uh, he legitimately is is pulling out echo effects. Um, there's definitely some phrasing, for instance, in some of his like solo violin works that have echo effects. When we say echo effects in music. This is something that's sort of uh, popularized in the Baroque period. If we go to early Italian Baroque, somebody like a Marini um, or Gabrielli even, you have a big statement and then it's repeated immediately. And the understanding is that the, the second statement is sort of an echo of the first um, and it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek convention and it, it survives all the way through Bach as, as something um, and in this last chorus he uses the flutes to present the echo and so I'd really like you despite the, the there's no real surprise Goebbels version is going to be faster but I'll, I'll start with Koopman and listen for that little uh, echo in the flutes. Uh, again, after these two examples, I'll talk a little bit about the sound quality and the sort of sonic character of the two performances. But I want you to listen to that echo piece and think about how successful it is with the tempo that it's been chosen.
So this chorus, corte liba, um, basically long live Gorta. Uh, he's the, the professor, right? May he long live uh, he who my laurels support, he who sits in my own lap, he who ascends yet higher through me. And then in the other version, it's long live August. Long live, O king, O August, your guardian, be the harsh foe's opponent. So this is very just a, a laudatory uh, piece with the da, da, da. I mean, you could imagine uh, it being kind of catchy. I mean, whoever is being honored, this, this sort of wild ending to this piece of music with trumpets and uh, timpani and um, what about the flute part? I don't quite don't quite get that because I really have a hard time understanding where this would have been performed. Presumably, uh, presumably indoors, but I don't know. Um, I just imagine the sound of the flute sort of being washed away. And in Goebbels version, the second one we heard, uh, definitely it's, it's, well, at least in the recording, it sounds louder. It sounds more authoritative. It sounds it like more zest. Frankly, if I was, you know, comparing the two performances and I was the one being honored, I kind of like the Gerbil version. But something doesn't quite make sense t- for me in terms of the flute part, the little echo that I mentioned. It seems to almost get lost uh, because of all the uh, the speed primarily. And so... My criticism, I guess, in in the Gerbil version, uh, what's it does have going for it? It has um, a lot more clarity in the recording. As I've switched back and forth between these two, there's there's definitely I feel like I'm closer to the musicians in the Gerbil uh, version, uh, which speaks somewhat to the acoustic space it's recorded in. And you know, would this have been performed in an indoor hall? Would it have been performed in the church? These are things I do not know. Um, when I've always read and heard about Bach's ceremonial music like this, and this is a perfect example of him writing music for an occasion, I don't know why, but I always picture it outdoors. But um, it has something to do with the idea of, of drums and trumpets. And yet we don't know. Um, and obviously these two recordings were recorded indoors. Uh, the Kuman, I have a feeling, was probably recorded in a church setting. And uh, it does lend itself a little different sound quality. It's a little more distant. There's a little more reverb to it. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's a well-done recording. But between the two, there's something sort of brighter and clearer in the one um, on the DG archive with Lisca Antigua Colm. So for what it is, um, I don't know if the Gerbil version is still in print. I know that the uh, the Kutman collection, Kutman recorded all of Bach's cantatas, not only the church cantatas, but also these secular cantatas. Uh, and he was sort of the modern revival of trying to record them all after the um, Harnon Court Lennon-Hart collaboration of recording all of Bach's cantatas. We've had several others that have attempted it. 
Uh, one that I often go to for comparison here in this podcast is the complete, uh, I shouldn't say complete, it's the Bach Pilgrimage Collection from John Elliott Gardner, but those were uh, only the, the church cantata, so we don't have a version of 207 or 207A from that collection. Um, I like some aspects of these both, but if if I were have to choose one as an interpretation Wise, I think the Tempe uh, chosen by Tan Koopman make more sense to me, uh, despite me liking the acoustic signature, if you will, the, or just the clarity of the recording of the uh, Reinhard Gerbel version. Um, but I'll put links to these in our show notes. They are available at our website, bieberfan.org. That's spelled B-I-B-E-R-F-A-N dot O-R-G. Appreciate you listening to this. Hopefully this was... Uh, illuminating that Bach basically wrote copies of the same piece, changed for different occasions, and whether or not you think that's cheating or not, well, that's between you and yourself, but um, it's the same music, different lyrics, and it is what it is. Um, To me, the most interesting part about this piece is the fact that Bach not only... um, used this music twice, but he borrowed from one of his Brandenburg concertos, which gives us some insight about uh, maybe Bach's uh, feelings about the piece um, or the collection of six concertos he put together. Um, It's not the only instance we have, but nevertheless, it's an interesting one. To close, this is the seventh movement of the cantata. This is the 207 version with Reinhard Gerbel. Thank you.